This is Getting to Know Your Bible, a program dedicated to the proclaiming of the good news of Jesus Christ. Here's Billy Lambert. It's a genuine pleasure to be with you today on Getting to Know Your Bible. We appreciate those of you who've tuned in today. Some watch all the time. This may be your first time to see Getting to Know Your Bible. Well, I want to urge you to stay tuned today. We're going to be discussing a subject that comes from a text in the Old Testament. We're going to be talking about tired of God. Tired of God. It appears that some people today have grown tired of Him. There's a text in the Old Testament that talks about that. Stay tuned as we discuss it. Now today we continue to offer a free Bible correspondence course. And I, I want you to have the course. And so what we're going to do is to pause so that you can learn a little bit more about the course and also how you can learn that you can receive it free of charge. To help you in your study of the Bible, we want to send you this Bible correspondence course. This course is non-denominational. It's based on the Bible. It's conducted by mail, and it's free. To receive this course, write to Getting to Know Your Bible, P.O. Box 314, Summerdale, Alabama, 36580, or call toll-free 1-877-711-5214. I'm going to be reading today from the sixth chapter of Micah, Micah chapter 6 and verse number 3. O oh my people, what have I done to you? And how have I wearied you? Testify against me. That that particular passage is a part of God's famous controversy that he had with his people. It was a, it's a sad time when God has a controversy or a complaint with his people. God came down in condescending love to find out what was wrong. And the reason God was asking this question was not so much that God didn't know what was wrong because God knows everything. But you see, he was trying to wake the people up. And he wanted them to know. So he asked them, what have I done to you? How have I wearied you? Testify against me. God was actually willing to put himself on trial here. But there, there are two or three things I want us to notice about this passage in our study today. The first of all is God's cry. He said, oh my people, what have I done to you? And this is the love of God outpoured. God loved these people. He had done so much for them. He had delivered them from the land of Egypt out of the house of bondage. And he had been with them and protected them and fed them. And, and, and he was their God. He had given them a law to, to uh, govern them and to guide them. And, and he did everything for their benefit. And in spite of that, 
He wanted to know, now what have I done to you that you've gotten tired of me? Now, this statement of God is, uh, illustrates his love in so many ways. It's sort of like his statement in the first chapter of Isaiah where, where God had explained through the prophet Isaiah that his people had become backslidden in heart and in life. And, and in spite of that, God loved them. And he said, come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are as scarlet, they'll be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they'll be as wool. And this is somewhat reminiscent of Jesus' cry over the city of Jerusalem. When, when he said, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets and stonest them that are sent unto thee, how often would I have gathered you together as a hen gathers her chickens under her wings, but you would not. Behold, your house is left unto you desolate. In spite of all that they had done, he still loved them. So God says, O my people, what have I done? How, how, is it, how is it that you react? How do you really feel when your children leave home and they don't stay in touch? Doesn't that hurt a little bit? You say, well, I haven't heard from my son. I've not heard from my daughter in a long, long time. And I just like to know what's going on. It's not that I'm trying to run their life. I just like to know what's go going on. Well, that's how God feels. Just imagine how God feels when his children that he loves so much leave him. They don't stay in touch. I want you to think about a contrast between the people that are mentioned in this text and people today. You see, the people in our text had been delivered from, from the house of bondage. Notice in the very next verse, he said, I, I brought you up from the land of Egypt. I redeemed you from the house of bondage. I sent before you Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. Oh, my people, remember now what King Balak, king of Moab, counseled. So he had delivered them out of bondage. He redeemed them, as it were. But it is not the case that for God's people today that he has redeemed them from bondage, from the bondage of sin. And yet there are those that treat God no better today, having delivered them from the bondage of sin, than God's people did in the days of Micah. So God asked them this question, what have I done to you and how is it that I've wearied you? In other words, they were tired of God. God, God gave them a name to wear. Let's think about that for a moment. He gave them a name. Well, what was the name? Well, you right, might recall that God changed Jacob's name to Israel. And, and the word God is embodied in the name of Israel, and that being the, the English letters E-L or L. And so Jacob became the prince of God, Israel. And in wearing the name Israel, they were wearing the name of God, were they not? Didn't take them long to get tired of that name. And they started wearing the name of Baal, the name of Ashtaroth, that is, other gods, they started bowing down to them and worshiping them rather than the name of God. So they, get, they, they grew tired of God and tired of the name of God. But what about men today? Well, God gave a new name for people to wear. That, that name was actually predicted by Isaiah the prophet. 
In Isaiah 62 and verse 2, The Gentiles shall see thy righteousness and all kings thy glory, and thou shalt be called by a new name which the mouth of the Lord shall name. So it was predicted God would give a new name to his people, and it would be when the Gentiles saw God's righteousness. And I want to emphasize that this would be a God-given name. It would not be a name that men would uh, be given by someone else. It would be a name that would be given to them by the Lord. I find it very, very, very enlightening that in the 11th chapter of Acts and in verse 26, in the chapter following the conversion of Gentiles at the house of Cornelius, that in the 26th verse of the Acts 11, the Bible says the disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. I want to submit to you that the name Christian is the name predicted by Isaiah in Isaiah 62 and verse 2, that when he said that God would give his people a new name to wear. You remember in Acts the 26th chapter that Agrippa said, almost you persuade me to be a Christian, a Christian. Then in 1 Peter 4, 16, Peter said, if any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed. God's given us a new name to wear, Christian. And the Bible only makes Christians only of anyone, anytime, and anywhere. That's all we should be, just Christians. Somebody says, what are you religious? I'm just a Christian. I'm just a Christian. Well, you're not. Well, what kind of a Christian? I'm just a Christian. Nothing more and nothing less. The Bible only makes Christians. And when we obey the gospel by believing on Christ, by repenting of our sins, confessing our faith in Christ, by being baptized into Jesus Christ for the remission of our sins, the Lord adds us to His body, to the church, Acts 2.47. Well, then all that we are are members of the body of Christ, and we call ourselves Christians. Christians. And you can't spell the name Christian without spelling the name Christ. We belong to Jesus Christ. We are followers of Jesus Christ. We're disciples of Jesus Christ. And the name Christian suggests several things. Number one, a Christian is a disciple. The disciples were called Christians. And a disciple is not a, only a follower of Christ. A disciple is a learner of Jesus Christ. Secondly, we learn that a Christian is someone who's been persuaded that serving Jesus is the best thing for their soul now and in eternity. Grippa said, you almost persuade me to be a Christian. And Paul said, well, I wish you weren't almost persuaded, but altogether to be persuaded to be just like I am. Paul was a Christian. Paul was a Christian. And then a Christian is someone who's willing to suffer for the cause of Jesus Christ. If any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed. So God's given us that name to wear. But you know, it wasn't long after God gave that name that people grew tired of it. They grew tired of wearing the name Christian. And there were some in Corinth, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10, who were saying, I am of Paul, I am of Cephas, I am of Apollos, and some even said, I am of Christ. They, they, they grew tired of just being Christians, and they started following men. It's to the point today that people follow and wear almost every name imaginable
except the name Christian. Have we grown tired of just being Christians? I think we should not be. We ought to just say, I just want to be a Christian. Someone says there's so much confusion in the religious world. I had a, a, a good lady talking to me just recently, and, and she said, there's so much confusion in the world today. Why, why can't we just all be the same? And, and I agreed with her. And I wish I had the opportunity to sit down and share with her just the simple message of the Bible. Just be a Christian. By believing on Christ, repenting of your sins, confessing your faith in Jesus Christ, by being baptized into Christ, and just wear the name Christian. And you see, if all of us did that, if all of us did that, not because Billy says so, not because the church of Christ says so, but because the Bible teaches this, if we would all do that, we'd all be the same thing, wouldn't we? We'd all be just Christians. And guess what? We'd have unity. But I fear men have grown tired. I think men have grown tired of God's arrangements. They think about God's arrangement for the home. Oh, how men have grown tired of His arrangement for the home. Now, now God knows what's best because God is so much wiser than we. No man can be the counselor of God. His ways are not our ways and His thoughts are not our thoughts. They're so superior to ours. And God knows what's best for man. And God, in the very beginning of time, saw that it was not good for the man to be alone. And hence, he created a helpmeet or a companion suitable for the man. And he took a rib from the side of the man, and from that rib he made the woman. And then he presented to the man, and the man said, This is now bone of my bone, and flesh of my flesh, and she shall be called woman. For she was taken out of man, and for this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, and be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. That was the beginning of the first home. And God made that family, that home, that marriage with one man and with one woman. Yet in the very beginning, God said, let's make man. Let us make them male and female. And God made man and he made woman. And the, the, the first home was composed of a man and of a woman. Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter, said, uh, chapter 7 in verse 2 said, Nevertheless, to avoid fornication, and that's illicit sexual intercourse, he said to avoid fornication, let every man have his own wife and every woman her own husband. So there's a man, there's a woman, there's a husband, there's a wife. That's God's arrangement for the home. That's his arrangement. And it's within the framework of the home that children are to be born. In Psalms 127, the psalmist said, Lo, children are in heritage of the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is his reward. And children are to be born to a husband and wife, a father and mother, within the framework of marriage. But oh, how we've grown tired of God's arrangement. It's very common today for people to to cohabit, that is, just live together outside of the marriage arrangement. And so that's not the way God intends for us to live. Also, there are those who have alternate ideas about what a family is, 
and how a family is arranged. And they think that if you have two men that want to live together as a husband and wife, or if two women want to live together in that kind of an arrangement, that that's approved of God. But in the very beginning, God's arrangement was there's a man and there was a woman that composed a family unit. And guess what? When they are married, it's for life. Jesus said in Matthew 19 and 6, what God has joined together, let not man put asunder. That is, you don't separate what God's joined together. And it is God who joins people together. Oh, we may do the maintenance work down here on this earth, but people are joined together by God. And, and no court in this land has a right to put asunder what God Almighty has joined together. In Romans the 7th chapter, Paul said, A woman is bound by the law to her husband so long as he lives. And then if her husband is dead, she's loose from the law of her husband. Well, that same would be true of a, of a man. If his wife uh, dies, well, then he's loose from the law of that wife. In other words, you marry for life. That's God's arrangement. But oh, how we've grown tired of God. And everybody it seems they have their own idea, or many people have their own idea of marriage today. But is it God's plan? Someone says, you're just going to have to change, Brother Lambert. You're going to have to change your attitude and your idea about what you've been reading in the Bible, and you're going to have to bend, and you're going to have to conform to the way people in culture see things today. No, ma'am. No, sir. We're going to have to bend culture to fit the will of God. We're not to take the Bible and to take the Bible and to twist it and to turn it and to pervert it and to fit into what the culture, cultural ideas are about anything. But men need to conform their lives to the will of God. But oh, how we've grown tired of God. Tired of his arrangement. Some have even grown tired of his arrangement as far as the plan of salvation is concerned. Suppose you started asking religious leaders through the land to, to answer this simple question, this, just this simple question, Sir, what must I do to be saved? Just, just suppose you ask that simple question. Why, why don't you ask your preacher that question? Sir, what must I do to be saved? And here are some of the responses you're likely to get. Well, all you have to do is just receive Jesus in your heart. And what else? Well, that's all. You just ask the Lord to come into your heart. Just say, Lord, I want you in my life. Lord, I want you in my heart. Well, some, some other preacher may say, well, now, before you do that, you, you've got to repeat a sinner's prayer. My question is, if we were to try to answer that question from a biblical point of view, what answer would we get? What 
must I do to be saved? What must we do to be saved? All people today. Well, when we go to the Bible, we learn that, that it's uh, a little different than what men talk about today. Number one, I don't read in the Bible that there's anything called a sinner's prayer. Don't read that anywhere. I do read in Romans 10, 13, that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And some read that and assume that's all you have to do. Just call on the name of the Lord to be saved. But what does that mean to call on the name of the Lord? Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved, shall be saved. Well, Jesus said, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. Now, if I put those two passages together, what conclusion do I reach? Well, I reach this conclusion that whatever Romans 10, 13 means must be the same thing that Mark 16, 16 means because the end result is the same. Why Romans 10, 13 says that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. But Mark 16 and 16 says, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. Evidently, what Romans 10, 13 means and what Mark 16, 16 means is the same. It's one and the same. Because things that are equal to the same thing are equal to each other. Hence, to call on the name of the Lord is to believe on the Lord, to repent of your sins, to confess your faith in Jesus Christ as a believer in Christ, and to be baptized. That's why Jesus said, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. Oh, however, we have grown so tired of God. I would urge you, because I love you, because I want you to go to heaven one day, to, to stop listening to men and listen to the Lord for a change. You know, that was a problem with these people in Micah's day, that they'd, they'd grown tired of, of God's arrangement, and they'd grown tired of God in every respect. But men also have grown tired of God's restraints. Evidently, that's what was wrong in in uh, Micah's day, they were tired of what God restrained them from doing. You know, Judges 2 and 10 says, There arose a generation that knew not the Lord. I think there are a lot of God-believing people in America today. Uh, there are a lot of God-believing people and Jesus-believing people and Bible-believing people all over the world. But then on the other hand, there are those that have grown tired of God telling them what to do. When an individual says you're going to have to change your attitude about what you read in that Bible on certain issues, that individual has grown tired of God. That's the reason that that's exactly what happened in the days of the judges. There arose a generation that knew not the Lord. Well, what were they doing? Well, you turn to Judges 21, verse 25. Every man did what was right in his own eyes. They weren't concerned about doing what was right in the eyes of God, but they wanted to do it their way. 
And that smacks of selfishness gone to seed when we want to do it our way regardless of what God has to say. Well, how did God feel about all of that? God says, I want to know what's wrong here. I want you to testify against me. And I want you to tell me what I have done. What's wrong with me that you'd feel this way? Over in Jeremiah chapter 2 and 5, there, there the Bible says, What injustice have your fathers found in me that they have gone far from me, have fallen idols, and have become idolaters? Neither did they say, Where is the Lord who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, who led us through the wilderness, through a land of deserts and pits, through a land of drought and the shadow of death, through a land that no one crossed and where no one dwells? They weren't talking about what all God had done for them in the past. And that was the case here in Micah chapter 6. God said, I want to know what did I ever do to you to cause you to become tired of me? And I would ask, in light of the fact that God cared so much that He made this world to be inhabited, that God cared so much that He sent His blessed Son into this world to die for sinners, in, inasmuch as God gave us the Bible which tells us how to go from earth to heaven one day, and inasmuch as the Son of God is coming back someday, and inasmuch as the dead are going to be raised one day, and inasmuch as one day we're going to stand before the judgment bar of God and give an account of how we've lived and how we've conducted ourselves while we on this earth live, I ask you, why, why would anyone be tired of God? That's what God wants to know. How have I wearied you? But you know, in spite of all of that, God says, I still love you. Just like the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15, God wants us to come back to Him today. Maybe you've drifted from God. Turned your back on God. I want, you, I want to urge you to come to Him. In the closing moments, let me give you a very personal invitation to visit the Church of Christ in your community. And right now, pick up the phone and call for the Bible Correspondence Course, or better yet, you can take it online. But we want you to have it. I want you to know we love you, and we thank you for watching today. And until we meet again, may the Lord bless you, may the Lord keep you, is my prayer. We want to help you as much as possible in your search for a personal relationship with God. You can now easily access our free Bible correspondence course online at gettingtoknowyourbible.org. If there's any way we can help you grow closer to God, please email us at knowyourbible at golftel.com or call us anytime at 1-877-711-5214.
Getting to Know Your Bible has been presented by Churches of Christ. If you have a question about the church, or if you would like the location of a Church of Christ near you, or to receive the free Bible course, write to Getting to Know Your Bible, P.O. Box 314, Summerdale, Alabama 36580, or call 1-877-711-5214. Join us next time for Getting to Know Your Bible.